Hey folks, Richard here. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that generating profit is the name of the game right now. But doing that reliably is hard and knowing how to actually grow profitably is even harder. That's where CTC's profit system comes in. It's our growth strategy service specifically designed for e-commerce brands generating between 10 and $100 million in revenue this year. We've built the world's best system for planning and executing profitable growth, and we want to implement it for your brand. Here's what it'll do for you. First, it'll clarify your brand's biggest strengths and weaknesses. Second, it'll provide you a daily marketing calendar, a two-year forecast, a channel-specific media plan. Third, it'll give you daily performance expectations across 35 key metrics, all of which ladder up to the only thing that matters, which is profit. And finally, the system will give you a team to execute against your plan every single day. The profit system is the only way to get total clarity on what your business needs and the execution it requires in order to grow in an environment where the bottom line is everything. Visit us at commonthreadco.com and click the Hire Us button to start the conversation. All right, on with the show. Hey folks, welcome to the e-commerce playbook podcast. I'm your host, Richard Gaffin, Director of Digital Product Strategy here at Common Threat Collective. Now I'm joined today by our sometime on the front lines war reporter, Luke Austin, who's the Director of Growth Strategy here at Common Thread. And uh, Luke occasionally likes to drop in and give us some kind of updates from what he's seeing from clients on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and he joins us here today to give us his hot 2024 takes. Luke, how are you doing today? I'm doing, I'm doing good. I'm energized by the momentum okay. of this new year. We were just, we were just chatting through my, my four month old is, is going through a bit of a, of a sleep crisis and I'm mm-hmm. um, partly due to teeth. I'm pushing through her gums, which is a very uncomfortable experience. So I have a lot of sympathy, mm-hmm. but I don't have a lot of sleep, but <laughs> there you go. despite all of that energized by, um, this energy heading into 2024 and, right. and I'm stoked to chat about this topic today. Awesome. Too. And Hey, teething maybe is, is. Not a bad metaphor for what's going on with the e-commerce industry right now. Uh, everybody's mm. teeth are coming in, but it'll uh, you know result in a better outcome or whatever for us next next or this year rather. Anyway, I kind of mangled that, but the point is, it's a tough time right now. But if you can push through it, it's going to lead to even better things. And so I think that's kind of what you were talking about here in this tweet, which we're going to kind of build this episode around a little bit. So I, I'll read it off uh, at least the first one, and then we're going to dig into three specific examples, maybe four or five too. We have a couple extras if we have some time, but um, so I'm, I'm going to read it off here. The brands that will re- realize the most profit growth in 2024 are going to allocate the lion's share of their resource focus or their resource focus on amplifying their areas of strength rather than improving their areas of weakness. So that's the kind of fundamental thesis behind the next three examples that we're going to point out here. And and to some extent, this is always good advice, I think, to focus on strength rather than trying to shore up weakness. It's definitely a psychological characteristic of humans that we prefer to work on our weaknesses rather than uh, growing our strengths, even though growing our strengths may be the most uh, helpful to us. But I think part of what we were talking about before we hit record is that 2024, it's going to become crucial for us to be able to focus on the areas of greatest opportunity. So let's walk through, actually, maybe before we kick into the examples, why don't you talk a little bit about what brought this kind of thought on, why you think now is the time to focus on this? Yeah, so... I think this is should be the default orientation and and should have been historically. But I think going into 2024, if we're if we're zooming out and looking at the past few years, you know, broader sort of macro, last year was really the tightening up and focus on 
margin, right? With the with the the years prior tracking less returning customer growth, all those sort of macro trends we've been we've been tracking against the focus on profitability and and tightening in terms of cost, add dollars, et cetera. Last year was was really the orientation. So I think going into this year, we're sort of thinking on how do we what is the incremental strategy or what does the focus need to be stacking on to that and. What's brought this up is usually at the end of a year, Q4, Q1 specifically, brands take a step back and look at their business performance and look for areas of opportunity heading into the new year. And for many of us, what that looks like is conversations in the context of benchmarks, right? Different different reports or platforms that have benchmarks associated with different business metrics. So we have we have the GQ score. Uh, many MTA platforms have benchmarks in their total data set. We have benchmarks in Statlist as well. And I think what's really interesting is when we all approach benchmarks, usually what benchmarks do is highlight the areas of weakness or the areas of opportunity. So there may be a list of metrics and there's 10 metrics and two of them, you may be performing below your industry or benchmark average. And so what the focus becomes in most cases is okay, how do I improve these metrics against the benchmark? Uh, if I can increase my conversion rate for this product category to be more in line with the benchmark average or my business average, then I should see higher growth and performance overall. Let's make that the focus. Where, what, what I'd argue is that's, that it's a good question, but it's not the best question mm. to ask in terms of making an impact in this year. The, the better question in terms of the disposition would be, here are my 10 metrics. Here are the two I'm outperforming my category competitors or the data set against. How do I amplify those and make those even better and focus as little resource and time allocation against the lower performing benchmarks and the majority of it, majority of it on amplifying the areas of strength. I think that's where where we're going to start to see brands in 2024 propel themselves against their competitors and within their categories because they've identified that and chose to take this disposition this disposition against those areas rather than the the benchmarks areas of weakness trying to incrementally improve those gotcha yeah i think it, it sort of stands to reason when you like look at that let's say your benchmark readout on your dashboard or whatever and you see the ones that are angry and red and negative mm-hmm. and that feels bad so you want to try to fix those and i think fundamentally like it kind of makes you feel like hey if i don't resolve these issues with with the weaknesses it's going to kind of cause the entire thing to collapse. But it sounds like what you're saying is that that's generally not really going to be the case. Y- yes. And and there, I I will add, like, I don't want to add too much nuance in or else this idea becomes less interesting. <laughs> but but there will be the, like, mission critical things that just need to be solved for. And, like, when you look at broader, like, business metrics, like, how we do this a lot is with four quarters accounting, right? And when we look at the at cost of delivery or your OPEX, like, there are going to be those mission critical things where it's like my cost of delivery is is 65% and way above where we'd recommend it recommend it being that that needs to be a focus it but it's more so within the within the areas that are a subset of those business metrics right we're usually not looking like oh hey my cost of delivery like let's focus or not focus on that but more so here's my conversion rate here's my AOV here's my 60 day LTV here's my budget allocation between platforms or by month those subset of marketing metrics specifically, that's where I think this disposition and this sort of framework becomes super important or else time can be spent on on things that are much less impactful than than the other metrics might might open up. Gotcha. Well, and actually, so I think this is one 
that this is a good indicator of like why these specific examples that you list out are important because they're good examples of ways that you can take that taking advantage of the strength uh, or rather the weakness associated with maybe these examples is not mission critical in any way, but it does tend to draw eyeballs when thinking about decision-making, pro the decision-making process. So let's start with uh, example number one. So this is really, this example is really kind of about marketing peaks. So I'm going to read off what you wrote here. Uh, every brand has a relationship between spend and degrading acquisition efficiency. This brand's acquisition efficiency in January degrades at a lower rate than April, meaning they can spend more at the same AMER, that's acquisition marketing efficiency ratio. Don't try to make April January, make your January even bigger. So unpack this for us. Like what, uh, like how does this play out? Yeah. So what, what this is representing is our spend AMR models, uh, the custom models that we develop here for the brands that we work with, which helps to set budget allocation for brands for every month of the year based on uh, three different optimization scenarios, maximizing contribution margin in that month, maximizing new customer revenue at break-even contribution margin in that month, or, or maximizing contribution margin within a specific LTV time window. So this specific example what it's showing is that in January of 2024, for this specific brand who's in the personal care space, they can spend $560,000 at a break-even contribution margin or better within that month. Whereas in April, they can only spend $440,000 at that same level of AMER efficiency. So that's an increase of 25%, somewhere around there, a little over 25% in uh, an ad spend that they can push in January versus April. And there's a few things that this are tied to. You, you mentioned marketing peaks and moments, which is absolutely going to make an impact, right? When your marketing calendar lends to different times of the year, um, that's going to happen. For this brand, they do orient their marketing calendar around these times of the year, but this isn't due to them running a big sale in, in January, for example. This is really due to the product category and the seasonality, being in the personal care space, new year, new me, all, all of that mm. stuff. And having the push in January creates this sort of category lift for them that allows them to push more into January versus, versus other months. So it really is this sort of based on the product and the category that the brand is in. There's these seasonality-related superpowers and lifts that they have innate to them that other brands don't have. And so a brand that sells a lot of summer clothing doesn't get the same sort of composition in terms of their business strengths as this personal care brand does in January. So what that means is instead of approaching the budget allocations and what, what can happen in a lot of these conversations is, okay, our, you know, April is one of our lower spending months for this specific brand example. We spend 440K. We spend over half a million in, in most, most other months in early Q1. How do we not have such a big drop off in our April ad spend? Hmm. That, that can very easily become the question that, that gets asked when we look at the spend AMR model that's showing this discrepancy between January and April spend. How do we not experience this big of a drop off in our April ad spend, which then leads to a drop off in April new customer revenue? How can we how can we kind of lift that and keep keep our our new customer realization more more flat? Not a, not a bad question, but the argument here is that's not the best question to ask. The question, the the better question to ask is how do we make our January even bigger? Don't try to make April your January if you're this brand. Try to make your January even bigger because you have these you have this lift due to the seasonality and the category you're in based on your historical performance that 
it's much more likely that instead of spending $560,000 in January, if you focused on aligning your marketing calendar, your creative assets, all the other marketing levers, focusing that on making January better, you could spend 600K, 650K and lift your new customer revenue a lot easier than the effort and budget allocation is going to take in April to have the same sort of look. Right. Yeah. I think with these AMER models too, like I think what you're trying to do when you, when you maximize spend or when you grow spend rather over the model is you're trying to beat the AMER projection, I would imagine, right? Because according to our projection for January, let's say in this example, were we to spend more, the idea is that AMER would then drop below the sort of ideal levels. But my sort of what I'm getting from this is that in January, the likelihood of your advertising being more efficient than expected is much, much, much more likely because of the seasonality of whatever product is you're trying to sell. Whereas the idea of somehow getting efficiency gains in April as you grow spend is that's kind of more of like a losing proposition. Does that make sense? Yes, exactly. Sort of like just adding fuel to the fire rather than trying to make like your little backyard barbecue into a bonfire, right? Like you already have this roaring flame in January. You can like just throw like logs into there and it's going to devour them and eat it up. Um, you just have this momentum that you can, that you can ride. And whereas trying to push April into having that same level of momentum in most cases is going to require a lot more energy, a lot more money, a lot more resource allocation, all of those things. Yeah. Okay. So the thought behind then example number two, it's, it's similar, but it has some, there's a little bit different in the details. So I'll read it off again. This is example two. Every brand and industry experiences a day of the week effect where revenue and performance on certain days of the week are stronger than others. For this brand, and and Corey, if we can have you pop up the visual here, for this brand, Sundays are the best and Wednesdays are the worst. Don't try to make your Wednesday a Sunday, make your Sunday even better. And and in this particular example for our audio listeners, this brand, the difference between efficiency on Sunday and the rest of the days is dramatic. In, In fact, Sunday and Friday are their only looks like the only day is sort of above average in terms of their revenue. So why don't you unpack this a little bit more? Like, how does this differ then in, in terms of the way you think about it than the broader sort of month by month? Yeah. So same sort of idea broken down onto a daily and weekly basis rather than a sort of like the calendar month and year planning. But this day of, day of week effect report is in, is in Statless. So we can look for every brand and every industry that we have as subsets within Statless and look at what is the day of week effect for that specific brand and industry. And every business, every industry has a really interesting behavior in terms of the ad performance, uh, in terms of the revenue and spend that they can get through on certain days of the week versus others. It's, it's really, really fascinating. And I think one one way where this idea can connect to be a bit more specific and tactical is let's think about it in the context of Black Friday and Cyber Monday, which are days that we're all very familiar with and that we all know have really different revenue contributions, right? So the the idea around Cyber Monday is you get this massive evening bump that you don't experience on any of the other days over BFCM week, right? It's something we're tracking against a lot. Most brands see this where you get a late in the day bump on Cyber Monday and much of that is due to, well, one, it's the, you know, the end of BFCM weekend. So it's sort of folks waiting for that final offer. But then two, folks back at work, right? I'm having different obligations during the day. And then those evening hours have, have opened up more. And that's where a lot of that demand is captured. Whereas Black Friday 
is is less so uh, that way. And then the weekend as well, those days are a lot more flat in terms of the revenue contribution per hour. And then Cyber Monday has just this massive bulge at the end of the day where this revenue is captured. And so what's happening is there's there's really specific consumer behavior uh, things that are happening on each of those days that make the revenue contribution and performance different on Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend. So this idea for the day, day of week effect is along the same exact lines where every brand has a very different, really different demographic that they're going after, right? A breakdown of male versus female, of the age range, which, which within those customers, that in itself is going to create interesting dynamics in terms of the time of day that your customers are shopping and even the day of the week uh, that they're shopping within. Outside of just the demographic, then there's the product and category consideration where um, there's likely certain days of the week where for your subset of customers, they're thinking more about certain products versus others and converting on certain products versus others as well. You have different time windows during you know, a work day, scrolling through their phone on a 10 minute break, whatever it might be, versus a weekend and you have a couple hours and are doing more research. Like there's gonna be very specific behavior related items for your customers that are gonna lend to this. And those are just two examples. There's there's a bunch of other things that could potentially impact this as well. What that leads to though, is a really, a really clear breakdown of your strongest days of the week and your weakest days of the week. And again, going back to this main idea, if you look at your benchmarks, it could be easy to say for this first example, Wednesday is our worst day. How do we get Wednesday to be more in line with our baseline average of revenue contribution and performance? Mm-hmm. But I would argue the better question is, how do we make our Sunday even better? It's our best day of the week. There's something going on there. Let's amplify that. Let Wednesday stay where it's at because there's probably something going on with Sunday where we can ride the wave and see an even bigger contribution in terms of revenue and performance on that day of the week specifically. Mm-hmm. So how do you think about like executing against like a, a day of the week uh, or taking advantage of the days of the week that are most like opportunistic for you? So is it just a matter of like you just we crank spend on Sundays and we pull it back on Wednesdays or like what else, what other things can you put into place? Yeah, so I'll start there on, on the tactical side of things. Like I, I think um, cost controls like lend themselves to this argument pretty clearly as well. And that's a lot of times where we tie this in where it's like have the budget set on your campaigns, have your cost controls. And when the performance and demand is there, it's naturally going to spike up and down. And folks who use cost caps, bid caps or min ROAS, um, consistently in half for a while, you're already seeing that in your accounts where you're like, oh, this is weird. Like certain days are just better than others and spend more, um, but I'm not really pushing any buttons. So I think that's on Meta, that's a case to be made on Google. Um, there's a case to be made to make sure to have the same budget allocation available so that you're not running out of budget on those bigger days of the week. You don't have search impression share rev- and revenue lost to budget on your core campaigns. So those are tactical ways uh, you can sort of make sure the counts are set up correctly. Outside of the this though, like it really goes back to the marketing calendar and what are the what are the moments um, and ways that we can lean into Sunday even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do that through um, the sequence in your marketing calendar, your email, email send cadence, like all, all of those things. But personally, like I, I would really want to understand why and for your brand, you need to go directly to the customers to 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 get that information and better understand. So doing diligence on the breakdown of your demographics, age ranges, subsets of your customers per product category 
understanding who those folks are that that might be converting more on Sundays versus Wednesdays, for example. Mm-hmm. And then outside of that, I think one of our one of our partners, No Commerce, this is a really helpful way that their post-purchase surveys can be utilized as well, is is to look at what what folks are saying and ask questions directly related to this uh, as well to to see what the impact could be on those days of the week. Uh, and then and then calling customers like I've worked with uh, several brand owners who are so connected to their customer profile and their customer makeup that and and part of that was just because of the connection they had via phone calls and would be diligent about uh, you know every week calling three to five of their their customers uh, chatting about them why they love the brand and and so I think that's that can be a way to get closer and find out who these folks are why they're converting these days and then how you can amplify that by additional, offers additional communication via email, SMS on those days. Um, and then of course, having your account set up tactically as well. Gotcha. Yeah. There's an interesting, it strikes me, there's an interesting, almost like detective game to be played here of looking at the type example one. So like the sort of the monthly cadence, like where the peaks happen. And then example two, which is the day, day of week, and then guessing what industry the, the brand is in, you know? And I think, yeah. yep. I think the point there is like, like kind of you're pointing out, there's as a brand, you yourself have more detective work that you can even do. Like there's some mysterious stuff on this, frankly, like why is Sunday so good, but Saturday's not good at all in this particular example. Um, yeah. You know, so yep. the, the simple explanation is that like when you're buying products personally, when you have a lot of personal time, you're going to buy those products, oh. but that's not necessarily yep. the thing that is happening here. Yeah. And just to add on to that, it's really interesting. So a way that this comes into play is one of our customers, Travis Matthew, they, a lot of their, their folks buy their, their clothing for golf and Sundays are the best day of the week for them. And I think that's really interesting. It ramps up actually Friday and then Saturday and Sunday, and then it drops back down. But when you think about when the golf courses are, are most crowded and when most people go out and play golf and even brands like Sunday golf and other ones that really have attached themselves to Sunday as that day where you're golfing, people are thinking about either by playing golf, watching golf or just thinking about golf more on Sundays. And likely that's what's leading to the higher conversion performance they see during those days, which is, which is just really fascinating. There's a really like real world impact that's leading itself to this data and they could orient their marketing calendar. They could orient everything uh, around that if they really wanted to double down on that natural trend they were seeing from the customer. That's interesting. Yeah. All right, for all our listeners out there, figure out what is your day of the week? Which one do you own? And I figure out how to lean into that. Okay, let's 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 move on to our last example here. So this is around product specific LTV. So I'll, I'll, again, I'll read this off, uh, and then Corey, if you could put the graphic up, the product a customer buys on their first purchase substantially impacts expected LTV. In this case, customers who buy product three. So in this example here, we have five different products, and those. In, this is a statless readout, and so customers who buy product three contribute forty nine percent more revenue within one hundred eighty days. Versus customers who buy product two, don't try to improve your product two LTV, focus on selling more product three. So we talk about SKU specific cohorts all the time, but talk a little bit about how you would execute against this or what, what kind of tactical decisions does this example lead us toward? Yeah. So again, going back to the framing this in, in light of benchmarks, it could be really easy to look at this visual for this brand and I don't have the totals here in this screenshot, which which I could add in, but mm-hmm. essentially what you'd be doing is looking at your 180 day LTV. And for this brand, it's probably somewhere around 200, 
$200 in terms of average between their five top product categories. So the average for this brand, top five product categories, let's say it's a $200, 180-day LTV. So when you look at this report, product two is at $156. It is the lowest of all the product categories in terms of 180-day LTV contribution. So naturally, the question could become, okay, product two is the one that is lagging the most in, in our top five product categories. How do we increase product two's LTV closer to the baseline of that $200? Versus product three in the screenshot being at $233 is substantially above the, the performance of the other cohorts. And so the other question could become, and what, uh, what I'm suggesting is the better question is, how do we just sell more product three? Because there's, there's something about product three that's leading to this higher value of customers over this time period. Part of it is the initial, the initial value of the order. And then likely the, the thing that most contributes to LTV is the product itself, the experience of the product itself, the quality of the product, um, the, the nature of the product within the category versus competitors as well. And that's not something that's going to be easy to improve for product two. You're going to have to try to think about how do you increase the initial AOV of that product? Um, which is a challenging, a challenging problem without dramatically affecting the, affecting the conversion rate. And then you're going to have to think about how do I increase the LTV, which is most closely related to the product composition itself? How do I improve the packaging? How do I improve if, if it's a, a consumable? How do I Im improve what the product's made of, right? And the experience of it for customers. That's, those are really, really challenging problems to solve. What if you said, no, I'm just going to focus on selling as much product three as I can. It's our, it's our best product converts to the highest rate, the customers come back at the highest rate for that. Let's focus our budget, let's focus our team resourcing, let's focus our creative resources on driving the highest volume of product three that we can, because there's already something there that is a strength in comparison to our other product categories. Yeah. No, I think I think this is a, a really good example of that because uh, like you were kind of pointing out, product two, so this is the product, the lowest LTV, is already also the lowest AOV product which is like one explanation maybe for why it's, why it's lower, but also the percentage gain over a period of time is again, much lower. So the reason mm -hmm. I point that out is that the, the hill that you would have to climb in order to get product two to the level of product three, because you're starting out at a lower AOV, that is going to be a much, much more difficult proposition to even get that to a place. It would have to grow substantially more over 180 days to even kind of come nose to nose with product three. So again, it's all, all a matter of just like harnessing. This is, a, I, don't know if, I don't know if you, Luke, have ever read Breakthrough Advertising by Eugene Schwartz. This is an old copywriting creative manual from like the 50s. But one thing that he says that has so always struck me is the idea of marketing is about harnessing forces that already exist. It's sort of like, hey, we build, uh, I don't know, windmills that harness the, the wind or something like that. Or we build a plant that harnesses water for energy. And I think like everything that we're pointing out here is an example of that taking a force that already exists, buying patterns that already exist in your industry, preferences about, around product, and then just leaning into that and harnessing the energy there. And I think the, the flip side of that is that if you, if you say like you build a windmill in a place with less wind, the windmill is never going to be able to work faster. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. I was going to say too, with, with the product example as well, we have, at least I worked on in the past one brand that made sports bras. And one thing that they discovered was that women like to buy a lot of sports bras. And it's not necessarily that they've worn out. It's that they like the different colors or they buy different colors when they start liking the product. So leaning into that product made more sense. So there's things specific to the product itself that may lend yeah. itself to repurchase as well.
Um, yeah, and that one, that that example is interesting too because I'm assuming for that for that brand, I think I know which one you're talking about. They have other products that are a higher AOV. Initially, those products would drive more um, if they're selling um, other athletes wear. But if the sports bars have that much of an increase in LTV and the repurchase rate, um, that's on, that's going to show up in that LTV window. And trying to get the percentage lift of leggings to the same rate as sports bras or what, whatever the other products might be, or inversely trying to increase the AOV of sports bras without that impacting LTV, like those are really challenging problems to solve. So mm-hmm. to your point, how do we how do we harness the energy that's already there, um, and then and then try to lean into it to make those strength areas even stronger for us because they're already a competitive advantage. And what a lot of brands want to do is. Let's hedge our bets. Let's add other product categories because we need, you know, a, a larger assortment to compete in this space. No, you have a competitive advantage and a foothold in these certain areas. What is your day of the week? What is your strongest product? What is your strongest month based on the seasonality? Mm. Harness those time periods because you're going to be able to beat out the competitors in your space um, with a lot less source and 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 time allocation than than trying to move the the weak areas. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's talk real quick about that fourth example that we discussed before we hit record because uh, it takes another angle on this that is interesting because it's around sort of around media buying a little bit. So why don't, why don't you let's jump into that, unpack that a little bit. Yeah, so this brand example, they sell primarily to men and they have low repeat revenue. It's it's uh, it's predominantly new customer revenue driven in terms of the brand's growth. It's strong returning customer revenue, but new the new revenue core is a lot larger. So those two factors are at play. And uh, their AMER, a new customer acquisition efficiency, and their Facebook ROAS are in the top percentile of our brands. They outperform brands within their category and otherwise substantially at growth over time. Um, And it's really incredible how they do that. Uh, There's a lot of reasons why that's the case. But one of them is that they sell to men who have cheaper CPMs on Meta than, than the female audience does. So... With that, we've been, we've had conversations and what can, what many of us have had conversations around is channel diversification, right? We spend primarily on Meta and Google. We want to spend on some other channels to test them out. Snapchat, uh, TV, TikTok, Critio, whatever it might be to see if we can find some traction on those channels. Now, what do we all know about new channels or new marketing initiatives in general is they are inefficient to start out. It takes time to learn. It takes time to build up the optimizations of the campaigns, learn what creative works in those platforms. So there's going to be that degrading efficiency to start out. For this brand, really the the question should be, we have outperforming new customer acquisition efficiency. And part of that is because we have a really good product that we sell to a customer of, uh, to a group of customers on Facebook that is cheaper um, than many brands have access to. Let's lean into that as much as possible while that opportunity exists um, because it is a strength and something that they have uh, competitively in the market that many brands don't have who are paying 50, 75% more on CPMs just because of the space that they're playing in and the customers that, that they sell to. So in terms of a, a, a budget allocation and channel diversification versus channel focus conversation, the, the same principle applies where the question is, what is the thing we're really good at that other customers don't have? And for this brand, that is a superpower of theirs on Meta that uh, uh, for them to lean more and more into would most likely get them the furthest in terms of growth uh, versus others. Right. 
I think that's an interesting example because as you're sort of alluding to, like this particular brand really wanted to diversify. And that was an important part of mm-hmm. their strategy when in, actu- in actual fact, like what we were kind of pushing back with was to say, actually, you need to do more of the same and do it harder because it's going really, really well. And sometimes it's a hard thing for brands to hear because, I mean, to some extent, I do suspect it's just because they're bored of doing the same old thing. Or they suspect that there's an opportunity that's kind of like they're going to miss if they don't get on certain trains. But one question I did have that I think this whole conversation begs a little bit, and it's related to the the question I had at the beginning around weaknesses. At what point do you make the decision to say that I actually truly think that we're we've hit the ceiling on this opportunity and now we can focus on our on our weaknesses and shoring those up? Not necessarily the same as, oh, hey, these things are mission critical. Maybe they're not. But let's say like at what point do they say, now it's actually maybe it is a good time to to expand or to yeah, grow new channels or try a new day or Yeah, it's a great question. The timing, the timing of it is really difficult. And to that point, many times when you're asking that question of, okay, should we be looking at other options? It's already a too late or getting close to too late because there's indication that something isn't working. So in most cases, you actually want to have those additional options available to you before you get to the situation where you're asking about additional options that can help us to course correct because there's most likely already some sort of pain point that's that's pushing in that direction. So that begs the question, how how to bring these new initiatives or opportunities into the like tool chest or the the levers that brands have to pull without uh, siphoning the resource and time allocation from the core focus areas. And I think that that to me, how I've seen it done well is not so much in terms of timing or a certain performance threshold or efficiency efficiency threshold, but more so in regards to a every time devoting a specific and defined amount of resources and time to those activities, but not exceeding that. Because what can happen is the problem areas or the weak areas, a lot of times can get the lion's share of focus, Mm -hmm. or at least the attention for a certain time will go over there. So I'm not advocating for it. Take those out completely. But I'm saying in terms of the key focus areas of the brand, don't make those them. Have, Have something in place where we say, okay, 10% of our media budget goes to testing, X, right? Like a lot of brands have that sort of testing rule. And so similarly for new initiatives, channel expansion, et cetera, I I think having a defined amount of time and budget allocation that's going to go into those in an evergreen constant basis is really important so that you have those levers available to you when those those situations come about. But uh, being really diligent to make sure that the time, focus, and money allocated to those doesn't exceed, exceed that predefined that predefined amount or else quickly it'll become the 10% will go to the 20% Mm, to the 30. And then all of a sudden there's more money being put into the problem area, which makes it more of a problem area. And now that has 80% of the resources and you're trying to make your, your Sunday, your Wednesday. And, and we've, we've just gone back on the thing that we said we're going to focus on for the year. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. Like approaching those problems with the understanding that the opportunity there is incremental or even totally speculative. What, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be looking and shouldn't be attempting to put put the amount of effort towards it that the opportunity demands, which is not nothing, but it's also not everything. And it's not even close to being the majority. Yeah. Cool. All right. So I think 
think that kind of covers it. Is there anything else you want to pull out here? Anything to summarize? Any last piece of advice you could leave to the folks? I would just say that for me, this thought exercise has been has been really fun. And I would encourage um, those of you who are still sticking around and listening to us in this conversation to be really dramatic in brainstorming around this idea. And how we were tossing this around is like for, for um, uh, the personal care brand that we talked about earlier, where they could spend a lot more in January versus April, the same efficiency, right? Rather than saying, ooh, let's maybe move 10% of budget from April to January. Like maybe that's where you land, you know, like something along those lines. But in the early stages, I would, I would um, encourage you to be really dramatic with your ideation around this. What if we cut our April? What if we cut our summer budget in April through August and allocated all of the, all of those dollars, which would probably be close, you know, for this brand, upwards of half a million dollars in advertising to Q1 and riding the wave that exists for them in the, in the, in the season. What would need to happen for that to be true? What marketing moments could we lean into? What's the incremental performance we could see? Think about this in big swing opportunities um, because I, I really am fascinated by this idea. And um, I, I want to see more brands in 2024 have marketing calendars and uh, budget allocation plans that that just kind of look crazy from the onset. You're like, wait, wait, wait. You're spending $150,000 in, in January and a million dollars in in June? Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. And it's informed by all of this where the seasonality picks up in the summer months and it's a clothing brand that lends itself to that time period and they have marketing moments that align with it. And January through March, they like run efficiently. They don't try to push a bunch of budget, really efficient from a contribution margin standpoint. But summer is where it's happening for us. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, really, uh, I'm really interested in seeing more of that this year. And I think we are going to, as brands find their, their strength areas and, and learn to ride those waves more. Yeah, there you go. All right. Maybe a little homework. Everybody go out, find your strength area. What's your big day of the week? What's the month that's most important to you? What's the product that people come back and buy the most? Well, Luke, thanks for joining us. uh, And thanks to all the folks listening. Luke, we're going to be hearing a lot more from you this year, as I understand it. A lot more frontline reporting as we kind of watch how these types of trends unfold over the coming year. But all right, everybody, appreciate listening. And we will see you all next week. Take care.